G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. When couples list the sort of problems they face in marriage, one of those challenges that often floats to the surface is differences over money. Well, it's a common source of stress and arguments for a lot of couples, but many of the challenges and mistakes are common to all couples. So we're bringing a set of values from our own upbringing into our marriage relationship. And so adjustments need to be made as our marriages develop into maturity. Well, that's where sharing common biblical values about money has the benefit of supercharging our relationship and our capacity to manage and grow our wealth. Well, Alex Cook is the CEO and founder of Wealth With Purpose, an organization that equips Christians to honor God with their finances by teaching sound financial planning skills based on the wisdom of the Bible. And so I want to make a special welcome back to 2020 once again to Alex Cook. Hello, Alex. Neil, great to be back with you. Thanks for having me. Well, Alex, it was only just last week you were here in the studio with me, and uh, it was wonderful to be face-to-face. You're back home today, but I've got you for this segment uh, on the line. You're in Sydney, and just wonderful to be able to approach an issue like this because money is one of those issues that does float to the surface. It is the cause of stress and conflict in a lot of marriages, and it's really, uh, you know, comes around the way we've all been been shaped and raised by the values of our parents or our carers. Uh, Take us into some of the things that you often come across uh, when you're talking about the things that shape our attitudes to money. Yeah, well, look, as you quite rightly say, uh, one is our uh, our family upbringing and uh, the kind of family uh, that we lived in and the way that our parents handled money, uh, the way they talked about money. So, for example, some families, they talk about money a lot. Other families, it's like a taboo issue. There's complete silence, and therefore, you don't get a lot of uh, you don't get a lot of learning from your parents in that regard. Uh, but also, another one might be: well, uh, let's say you grew up in a family where things were tight. Your parents struggled to pay the bills. That's going to have a flow-on effect to you and how you see money. And many kids that grow up in that environment uh, want to make sure that they're never in that same position. They want to make sure they've always got more than enough. And so typically they would then become hoarders, potentially, you know, so that they never get into the same pressures that their, their own parents were in. And others, like me, grew up in a family where uh, they were good spenders. And so uh, that becomes a, a bit of a habit that you can carry with you into your, your marriage. And uh, one of the great tensions for people in marriage, of course, is um, spenders versus savers. So some of us naturally have an inclination to spend very easily, probably the majority of us. And then there's those that are savers who, you know, squirrel away every penny they can. And and often when you put two people like that together, (laughs) there can be uh, fireworks at some point. And and in fact, uh, the number one cause of divorce now in Australia is, in fact, financial conflict. So it's a, it's a big issue. 
Um, of course, cultural differences can um, make a big difference. Um, you know, uh, certain cultures are more inclined to save, some are more inclined to, to spend. Uh, personality differences, gender differences, um, spiritual maturity. So, for example, couples may fight over how much money they're going to give away and give to support things like their local church, etc. So there's all these sort of things that can potentially influence um, our attitudes uh, to money. And in fact, our attitudes, therefore, obviously drive our behaviour. So that's a really important thing to say is that how you think about money will drive how you behave with money. So, yeah, so some, there's some of the... The challenges that people have. Interestingly, Alex, when we talk about money, there is in the back of the mind for some people, uh, here are the Christians talking about money again. And some people are a little sceptical of Christian motivations in talking about money. But when we come to money and marriage and the sorts of things that shape us, uh, really our Christian faith here comes to light in a very, very good purpose-filled direction, doesn't it? Because uh, a Christian attitude to money, if we can adjust to that together, coming from different cultural backgrounds, uh, different family backgrounds, adjusting to a godly idea of money actually sorts through a whole lot of really big challenges, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And look, to me, this all begins with that godly attitude, the godly mindset. Um, So the word I love that I think Christians really need to adopt is the word stewardship. And now just being, to be a steward, of course, just means to manage uh, something on behalf of somebody else. So in this case, our money. Um, you could also bring that into other areas of our life, such as how we manage our time and how we manage our talents. But in the context of money, um, we, we need to realize as Christians that the money that we have is in fact God's. And that you, you read that in Psalm 24, uh, verse 1, where it says, The earth is the Lord's, and including all those that dwell therein. So not only... Uh, is everything belong to God, but we belong to God. Um, and so we need to begin with that as our sort of our, our base case, you know, and understanding um, that's where our attitude should begin from, that we're actually looking after God's money. In fact, uh, the parable of the talents, or in some versions called the parable of the gold bags, in one version it's actually called the parable of the loan money. So, so my challenge to, to, to listeners is, that, is to think that your money that, that you have, that you look after, is in fact on loan to you from God. Um, and therefore, you want, when, you, when you give it back, when we pass away, we want to make sure that we've handled it well and, and done the right thing uh, by God with it. But, uh, um, yep, Alex, yep. I was going to say, uh, when we've come from Christian backgrounds, you might have a couple... Uh, he's been raised a Christian, she's been raised a Christian, and, and of course uh, there's all, all sorts of uh, different ways that that mix comes about. But let me just take this for a moment. Uh, when he's been raised as a Christian, she's been raised as a Christian, that's not necessarily a guarantee that they'll both be on the same page because some are raised with an idea that to be a Christian is to be very uh, austerity-oriented, uh, to not appear to be flaunting wealth and uh, of course good biblical foundation for that uh, that level of uh, modesty and and uh, and and not flaunting those things that that we have as wealth the, the other side of that of course is having a wealth orientation that you know to know god in fact is to be 
a person who's on a trajectory to wealth because of those principles and obedience that we have to God. And, of course, both sides can lead to generosity. But just because we come from a Christian background doesn't necessarily mean we're always on the same page because we come from different attitudes to our wealth. Absolutely, and there's a there's a very big divergence in the church, and I think is um, the, the middle road is actually the right road, which we can chat about in a minute. But um, certainly, the church, as a general rule, hasn't handled the topic of money that well, in the sense that for the most part, it doesn't actually talk about it that much. It doesn't actually unpack uh, the truths of Scripture uh, about what the Bible says about money nearly enough, because it's actually. Uh, a lot of people probably aren't aware, but it's actually the most talked about issue in the Bible. There are more than 2,300 verses, uh, 11 of 39 parables that Jesus told, um, and uh, roughly 15% of Jesus' preaching was about money. And, and I think it was because God knew that we would struggle with it, and it's, it's the ultimate heart issue. If, if there's anything that can come between you and God, uh, it's, it's money. And so in the church, therefore, we've often gone to extremes. So on the one hand is the extreme you mentioned, or that sort of trajectory to wealth, which is kind of this idea that God wants Christians to be rich, and certainly that um, when we give, that we're going to, um, uh, you know, receive back this a huge abundance of wealth, that kind of mentality, um, what's often referred to as the prosperity gospel. And then at the other extreme is the sort of the poverty mentality or the, uh, you know, poverty gospel, which is this idea that Christians must be poor, uh, that ministries struggle, etc., um, the sort of scarcity mindset. And I actually think the truth from Scripture is somewhere in the middle and what I call stewardship mindset. And really that is that God blesses each of us with different amounts. Some of us get blessed with a little, some of us get blessed with a lot. And regardless of the amount, we are called to honour God with that. And I love this definition of stewardship that I saw on a, a website a number of years ago. And it says that stewardship is managing God's blessings in God's ways for God's glory. So whether you have a little or a lot, um, we just have to acknowledge and thank God for his provision and his blessings. Then we need to, and I think this is the real challenge in our culture today, Western culture, is to manage it God's way rather than the way the world tells us to do it. And then the third thing is to do it for God's glory. And so by that I'd say to people, you know, how can you use your money um, to fund things that are eternal, of eternal value, things that are going to you know, change people's lives and lift people out of poverty and things that are going to advance uh, the God's kingdom. All of those kind of things we need to be thinking about with our money. And that, to me, is more in the middle, if you like, that stewardship mindset as opposed to the extremes that sit on either side of that. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Alex Cook is our guest this hour, the founder of Wealth with Purpose. We're talking about money and marriage today. Our talkback line open 1-800-316-316. You can also leave a comment or a question on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Alex, let's talk about where the rubber hits the road here. If we're talking about the challenges that money brings to marriage, uh, let's talk about some of those practical areas that we often find where the challenges show their ugly heads. Uh, what are the common mistakes and the common challenges we face? Probably uh, the most common one that I see out there at the moment in Australia is when couples take on too much debt. Um, Australia today is the second most indebted household on earth um, and that was, certainly wasn't the case 30 years ago but it really is now. We've uh, taken on a huge amount of debt with gusto predominantly to buy houses so a huge amount of the debt is housing related. 
Um, so a common mistake you see amongst, say, young Christian couples is, you know, they, they get married, uh, they buy a house on the basis of two incomes, uh, and then, of course, the wife gets pregnant, and then, lo and behold, a few... Uh, few months later when when the baby comes uh, they're under enormous pressure because they're down to one income and uh, they've still got this significant debt so debt causes huge amounts of issues and of course uh, interest rates are at record lows in Australia so if interest rates were to rise my sort of question for your audience would be how is that likely to affect your personal cash flow and your personal situation and is that going to put you under a lot of pressure as a couple because debt is a huge issue that many people struggle with. And, of course, it's not just loans, as in home loans. It's, it's credit cards and so forth. You know, I've seen people with huge credit card debt. Okay. Um, Before we move on from this, uh, too much debt is one of the common challenges, one of the big mistakes. Uh, the question comes to the fore here, how much is too much? And I know this is going to be different for individuals, but is there any sort of... You know, special equation you can apply. You know, let's do a little bit of mathematics yeah, here. Yeah, uh, how do you actually say, well, uh, I've got too much, or I could take on a little more? I mean, let's not uh, let's not leave a certain optimism out of here uh, in the discussion. But how much yeah. is too much? Okay, well, I'll answer by telling you. We when we uh, teach people about money, we give them a formula which addresses the exact issue uh, that you're talking about. So we call it the eighty ten ten rule uh, in terms of how you manage your personal income. So 10%, first 10% we call giving to God, second 10% we call long-term saving, and then we say to live off 80%. So you should try on live uh, from your day-to-day expenses on no more than 80% of your income. But then, of course, the question becomes, well, okay, that's well and, all well and good, but how much then should I spend on my mortgage or my rent? So we typically say to people that no more than 30% of your income, your, your net income that is, should go in mortgage repayment. So if your debt is greater than 30% of your income, and it's consuming more than 30%, then it's too much. In fact, in Australia, the government calls it, calls it mortgage stress if you're over 30%. Um, my advice so to your listeners would be to actually have less than 30% at the moment, which is difficult given how high house prices are, because at some point interest rates are likely to rise um, significantly from the very, very low level. So at the moment you can borrow money at about 4% for a home loan. If that rises, and 10 years ago it was at 8%, what is that going to do to your personal cash flow? That's going to be quite significant for many, many people. So no more than 30% of your income should go in debt repayments. If you find that you are in a better position than you've been in in years gone by and you can do that little equation and uh, 30% of your income in mortgage repayments uh, or rent and you think, well, we're well within that, uh, is there a point where you would say, I would need to be looking for wise sound investments to be using that money for a purpose that uh, A, is about gaining wealth, or B, may be about uh, your capacity to be able to give and be generous into the future. Uh, what sort of thoughts would yeah, you have absolutely. on for people who, who have, not everybody's been having wage rises and such things, but uh, but not everybody's poor either. Uh, what are your yeah, thoughts so- for that spare money that you might have that where you've got over and above that 30% of your net income being u- used yeah. on mortgage payments? Yeah, so what we say, coming back to that sort of 80-10-10 thing, we say is once that you, if your income is rising or you've got your mortgage down to a much more manageable level, is try and increase your savings, so increase that 10% and increase your giving as well. So, you know, 
in the the New Testament particularly, we're called to live generous lives. Now, one of the, I think, the mistakes in the church is we often talk too much about the tithe and the 10%. To me, that's that's nice in the sense it's not not a bad place to start. But really, if we, if we take the view that all our money is God's and that we want to have an eternal impact, that our life will make a difference and count uh, and count and make a you know. Uh, Help, help those in need and fund the gospel, etc., then why not go way above 10%? Why does it have to stop there? So as you uh, earn more, I say to people, increase your saving and increase your giving. In fact, uh, one of my observations as a, a financial planner, of course, is the more people earn, the more they spend. That's, that's a typical trend. You know, their income goes up, so their spending goes up and their lifestyle gets better and better and better. Whereas what I'd say to a Christian is we're saying, look, well, okay, yes, decide what your lifestyle is going to be, what you believe God is setting for your lifestyle, what what you believe he's calling you to, and then say from there, right, now that my income's up, now I can save a bit more towards various things, and I can give more to the things that God is leading me to give to. So that, to me, is a, a simple way of thinking about it. Okay, let's talk about some other issues where the rubber hits the road, some of these common challenges and mistakes. Another one of those that you like to talk about, Alex, the idea that couples don't talk about money enough. Is this one of those areas that probably has an easy remedy? Uh, it does, yeah. But you're right. What I find with couples, both pre-marriage and, and after marriage, is it's a topic they typically skirt around. They, they avoid it. And as a result, at some point, it usually blows up. So it becomes something that they react to as opposed to something that they proactively deal with. Um, so what I would typically say to a couple is just to be much more intentional about your money. So I say just for a bit of, uh, for a bit of fun is have a money date. So go, go out, maybe now whether it's to, to a coffee shop or a restaurant or something, and actually sit down for one or two hours. Uh, and you don't even have to go out because you could do it over the kitchen table. But sit down, plan your finances, set some goals, uh, write down a few notes about a basic wealth plan. So, you know, issues such as what insurances are you going to have, how much are you going to save, how much are you going to give and who are you going to give to, and actually sit down and plan it out. And typically I'd say initially that'll take a bit of time if it's just your first time ever doing that as a couple, but progressively it'll get easier. So, for example, you know, six months in you might meet, you know, you might only chat about it for half an hour just to go through it quickly and say, yep, we're up to date, we're all looking pretty good. And then you might just talk about it once every two or three months afterwards. <laughs> but put in the hard yakker up front to sit down as a couple, develop a vision for your finances, set some clear goals, um, work out your giving, work out your spending, work out your insurance, uh, and, and a few other things as well. Uh, and that will really help you get on the same page uh, and get aligned. And of course, involve God in that decision-making process. So, you know, pray to God, God, you know, how much should we be giving? What should we be giving? To, to whom should we be giving, etc.? So involve God in your financial decision-making process. Okay. And there might be listeners who have their own thoughts about how all that works well. Uh, Common challenges and mistakes. One of those might be, Alex, that's because both partners in the marriage relationship uh, have these different things that have shaped us in our past, that, uh, that some are better at handling money than others, and you get this situation where some people like to hide money from another so it can't be spent uh, how do you d- talk about this sort of uh, this this difference that ha- happens within marriages yes yeah, so 
I've seen uh, people hide money over the years in different ways. Sometimes it's hiding transactions. So I had a situation where it was actually uh, some wealthy clients, but the uh, the husband was a, for one of a better expression, he was a bit of a miser in terms of money, he didn't want his wife spending anything. And so she actually uh, managed to rack up about 25 grand in credit card debt <laughs> over a period of time at, before he discovered it. Now, as you can imagine, when that happened, all sorts of fireworks uh, took place. So hiding money is a very, very bad idea because at some point it will come to, uh, come to the surface and it will cause all sorts of marriage issues. Um, I've seen all sorts of other things that where people have hide, they hide their bonuses that they earn uh, and so forth. But essentially, the problem with it ultimately is it creates distrust and marriage is all built around trust and faithfulness to each other, obviously in the, uh, in the, the sexual sense, you know, sexual faithfulness, but also in a financial sense, you have to be faithful uh, with what you've been given. And so for couples, I recommend that they have joint bank accounts. I recommend you don't have separate ones. That way there's transparency. You both can see where all the money is. Um, and so forth. So that way, everyone's on the same page. Everyone knows where we stand, and we can make decisions together as a couple. Um, because the other problem that ha- occurs with this is that often one partner is seen as the more interested or the more savvy one, and the other is disinterested or just doesn't feel confident with money. And as a result, one, the responsibility for handling the money gets all put on one person. And I think that's a mistake. I think generally speaking, even though one may be more savvy than the other, it's very important that you you talk about money together, that you both understand where your money's invested, you both understand how much you're saving and so forth, even though one may be the one that typically facilitates things and you know opens the accounts and pays the bills and all that kind of thing. As long as you're, um, you've still got a approach of doing it together, even though one has the, the responsibility for day-to-day management. Let's talk about some of the other common challenges here and mistakes. One of those is that sometimes parents give us money and when parents give us money, sometimes there are strings attached. What are your thoughts on this particular issue? So what we typically uh, find from time to time is uh, most parents want to support their kids, right? And that's a good thing. You know, you want to uh, help your kids out, help them get ahead. Um, But with some people, and not all, uh, it can actually interfere with the marriage where, for example, one one set of parents uh, can... Uh, give money and provides undue influence on either the marriage itself and that relationship or on um, uh, in terms of uh, the nature of the relationship between the parents and the, the married couple. So, for example, you have to spend more time with them and so forth or you've got to do things their way or you've got to, you know, put the kids into that kind of school and so forth. So there can be this sort of uh, undue influence. And, and look, when you look at it from a biblical point of view, the Bible basically says, you know, when you get married, two become one, and then you as a couple become interdependent on each other. So it's very important that even though we love our parents and we want to also, from a parent's point of view, we love our kids and we want to help our kids, it's important that uh, as a couple you manage the money together without undue influence from others. And sometimes money, as I say, can come with strings attached to it about certain things that have to be done a particular way. So it's just very important um, to be cautious, uh, to be prayerful before you accept money from from others and from loved ones. 
um, and just be really uh, mature about it um, because it can influence the marriage. I mean, to give you an example, this is actually from a, um, a, an unbelieving couple that I know whereby the, the wife came from a very wealthy family and uh, the husband had a pretty good job. But even despite his very good job, the wife's spending habits were such that she needed to be subsidized by her parents to maintain her spending and lifestyle. And as you can appreciate, the guy (laughs) felt that he wasn't providing. He felt that he wasn't making enough money to meet his wife's spending needs. And so that caused a lot of tension in the marriage. And that's why the in-laws would have been better off not giving their daughter quite so much money, (laughs) potentially. Or now some people would say, oh, maybe the guy just had to put his ego aside. So there's all different ways of looking at it. But you can see just the, the tension that can arise if these things aren't thought through properly. <laughs> so there's really a practical element of this uh, leaving and cleaving that we understand in marriage, uh, leaving Absolutely. our parents and cleaving to our spouse uh, and being separated from the parents because I imagine it's not just uh, parents who give money and therefore with strings attached have some sort of undue influence over the new uh, married couple but it could also go the other way too the idea of lending to in-laws any sort of connection here with money has the potential for causing some problems. Absolutely, and so this is a really common one. Let's say you're married uh, and you've got a brother-in-law and the brother-in-law, he's struggling. Maybe his business isn't doing so well and so the wife says, oh, well, let's help out my brother because he's, you know, he's struggling. Um, that can cause all sorts of tension because maybe the money is, uh, is lent and then the brother-in-law doesn't pay it back or maybe um, the husband looks at the brother-in-law and says, well, you know, maybe he doesn't work hard enough. Of course, his business isn't going to do well. He doesn't work hard enough. And so all of a sudden, there can be this sort of tension about about the lending of the money. So it's very important that couples prayerfully consider before they do that. I also say, say to people, rather than lending money, consider giving someone a gift because rather than give it, giving the money with no strings attached is much better than giving money hoping that you get paid back. The same applies when a couple is saying, right, we've got a friend in need and that friend wants to borrow some money. Um, there's, a, there's a cliche that says, um, if you're going to lend money to a friend, decide which one you want to keep, the friend or the money. Because uh, in many cases, uh, that friend defaults on the on the repayment. That's actually statistically proven. The default rate on lending money to friends is far greater than default rate of lending to a bank lending your money, um, and so that can cause all sorts of tension in a friendship. And I've seen it ruin friendships uh, where people have lent money uh, and they haven't been paid back, or they've tried to get paid back, and then the friend says, "Well, well I, you know, I can't afford to," and so forth. And so there's all this sort of tension. So the long and short of it is be very prayerful uh, before you lend money to anybody. Uh, Secondly, agree as a couple. So don't do it underhandedly. Make sure you both agree on what you are going to lend. And C, consider giving a gift instead. Um, The other thing to be careful of when you're lending money to someone is decide whether you're actually reinforcing a bad habit. So maybe uh, that person's going through a tough time but maybe it's a tough. Uh, it's because of their own mistakes, and they need to learn lessons from those mistakes. And you might actually be interfering in character development that God is trying to do on that person's life. So you need to be very careful. Um, generally, as I say, try and avoid it, and if anything, try and give a gift instead. 
We're taking calls on 1800 316 316. Let's take a call from Cole in Mackay. Hello, welcome along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hello, Neil, and hello, Alex. Um, can, I would just like to do a quick share of, of what we've done over the last 30 years. Um, first, our first of all, and our main thing is our first fruits go unto the Lord, okay? And uh, now I am permanently disabled, but the Lord has looked after us all these years, and we now own our own home, and 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 giving unto the Lord first has blessed us so much. Cole, good right. thoughts there. Let's get a, a a reaction, a response from Alex. What are your thoughts for Cole? Yeah, look, firstly, I love the heart because I think one of the key things here, uh, the first fruits principle, which we which comes out of the Old Testament, I think still applies in the New. In the New Testament, there are other passages that support the same idea, and that is that you know, such as Matthew six thirty three, where it says, "Seek first His kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you." I think the the overwhelming message in Scripture is that with our money, and indeed just with our whole life, we need to put God first. In fact, you know, as Christians, we offer good at good at saying, "Oh, you know, God's first in my life," but is He first with our money? And sometimes, when we look at the way people do their budgeting, God often gets the scraps; He gets the last bit. So, what Cole's saying, I think, is is fantastic, and that is that, you know, what when we do our budget, we look at it and say, "Right, what are we going to give to God first? And that should be the the right way about going about your budget. So, yeah, thanks for that, Cole. That's great. Cole in Mackay, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You might like to contribute to our conversation today or you can leave a note on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. And Mike on Facebook says, husband and wives should show good faith toward each other and discuss major financial decisions outside basic weekly expenses such as groceries and clothing, etc., there are then no nasty surprises. Uh, this is the interesting thing when it comes to that idea of talking about it because nasty surprises no doubt contribute to some of the conflict that goes on in marriage. What are your thoughts for Mike uh, when it comes to this issue, Alex? Yeah, look, I think he's right in the sense that I think, you know, small everyday expenses, you know, like maybe a cup of coffee, you know, you don't get involved in those kind of decisions. But when it comes to things that are of significance, where you're spending over a certain amount, then you need to have that discussion. So what we typically say to couples is decide on a figure that is the trigger point for a discussion. So for a couple where maybe you've got you know modest income and so forth, you might say anything more than 100 bucks, we have to chat about it. For another couple, they might say anything more than $1,000, we have to talk about it before we do it. So the point being is that anything that's minor, you know, say go and buy a cup of coffee, no big deal, but anything that's significant that's going to affect both of you and affect uh, your finances as a couple, you definitely need to talk about it. Um, so, as I say, my advice to listeners is set a threshold for what that amount should be, and above and beyond that, you have a discussion about what you're going to do and, and include each other in the decision-making. Another one of these common challenges and mistakes, uh, the idea of his and hers inheritances. Uh, what does all that mean, Alex? Yeah, well, look, I'll give you an example. I was... Uh, um, I had a lady come and see me as a, as a financial planner about, this must be 10 years ago now, and she just received an inheritance of $800,000 from her parents. And uh, she came along 
by herself. And I said, oh, where's your husband? And she said, oh, he doesn't need to be involved. It's my inheritance, not not his. <laughs> and uh, I was a little taken aback by that because my sort of view, uh, well, for, apart from my biblical view, which is that all my money is God's, the second view would be that uh, as a couple, that it's really our money together, not uh, his or hers. And so her basic view was that her husband had absolutely no say or no relevance uh, in this decision-making about the $800,000 that she'd inherited. Now, from a, I think from a Christian standpoint, we've got to say, well, any money that comes into our family is money that we've got to steward on God's behalf. So we need to sit down together and decide what are we going to do with that money? You know, are we going to bless someone with it? Are we going to help our kids? Are we going to pay off our mortgage? What are we going to do? It needs to be done as a couple and not just be seen as his or her inheritance. I think that's a, a source of potential uh, tension <laughs> for, for many people if they don't do it that way. Now, this is a little bit similar to the issue we were talking about just a short while ago about hiding money from one another and, you know, this is my money and uh, you'll keep your grubby mitts off it. Uh, there is a sense, though, I imagine, that uh, each of these sorts of cases need to be managed individually because uh, for some couples, and, you know, this might be... Uh, a growing number where perhaps one of those in the marriage has something like a gambling addiction or some other way that somehow or other the money just burns a hole in their pocket and if you don't take some sort of action to protect family finances, your children can suffer. What are your thoughts for uh, for some of the those sort of more specific uh, details and uh, scenarios that, that, you know, that really one has to take responsibility, Alex? Yeah, well, as you say, they are case by case in the sense that there does need to be a bit of tailoring involved. Um, but typically in that sort of scenario, if you took the gambling one, what I would recommend in that case is that there is a separation of accounts. Uh, you may still have a joint account where all the money comes in, but then what I would do is allocate an allowance out to each couple so that way one person is getting a certain amount that they can spend and then another's getting a certain amount as well. And that way, what you're trying to do here is try and put a control on the money so that when that money runs out, it's there's no more money to spend. So no more money can be gambled and so forth. Um, obviously, with gambling, that's a very serious issue. So you probably need professional counselling, um, financial counselling. That can also lead to other dangers such as credit card debt and so forth, um, which need to be dealt with as well. So if, certainly um, in the case of a gambling a couple whether one was a gambler, I'd be cutting up the credit cards and going to debit cards and all sorts of things to try and uh, reduce that temptation and that thing. But as I say, that's a very that's a quite a serious thing, and so there might be other intervention that's required beyond just the financial as well. There are challenges there. Let's talk some more about the common challenges and mistakes we make within our marriage. Uh, of course, one of the things that is prevailing in our culture is the idea that we've become very consumer-oriented and, uh, you know, we like things, uh, things somehow, uh, we buy things to try and make us happy or fulfilled or the idea of keeping up with the neighbours, keeping up with the Joneses, as the old saying goes. Uh, this is another one. One of these challenges too because one wants to keep up with the Joneses and other is saying hang on a second uh, let's we don't have to do that uh, it is a point of conflict isn't it oh it's huge I mean to give you a bit of a, an idea of the enormity of it um, each year globally 550 billion dollars is spent on advertising on a global basis uh, and advertising pretty much works on the 
uh, idea of discontentment, that, you know, it makes us feel discontent and unhappy with our current situation, and therefore we need to do something about it to, you know, to become happy in the future. Um, and so for that reason, people feel under enormous pressure to I, I get their identity from what they have or what they do. Um, and even look for, for myself, when I was a young guy, I, I started my career in finance as a stockbroker. And, and I, not only did I want to be successful, but I wanted to look successful. And that's very problematic when you want to look successful because it will drive your financial behavior to buy things that will give the impression that you are, in fact, successful. And of course, therefore, you can end up uh, building up credit card debt or loans and so forth to create this sort of false persona. And so many people, I think, in, in our churches struggle because they're surrounded by someone who has this, that, that little bit of better job or that little bit uh, better car or house or they go on a you know they go on a nice overseas trip whereas you know I only go camping and so there's always this sort of uh, pressure that someone has a little bit more than me and so as a Christian I think the real challenge is to get your identity and your self-worth from the fact that you are a precious child of God and as a couple you actually need to help each other in this because it may be that both of you struggle with it to some degree rather than just being you know his or her problem uh, and we need to help each other through to realize that we're here for a short time we're here to 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 build God's kingdom not our own and that we need to be using our finances uh, for God's glory rather than to keep up with the Joneses and to have things that uh, that add no extra value I mean if we're honest what's the real difference between a a Hyundai XL and a uh, you know and a Mercedes Benz. At the end of the day, they both take you from A to B. But the uh, the perception and the ego and things that may go with one over the other can be can be enormous and put people into all sorts of financial strife in order just to keep up with what others have. It's a very real issue. I think that vanity is listed as one of those seven deadly sins. And uh, there is a sense here in which uh, vanity is really a part of this idea of keeping up with the Joneses, isn't it? It's it's a matter of a biblical value uh, which is going to... Uh, help to uh, settle the way that you actually form your identity. And as you say, with $550 billion being spent on advertising to make us feel discontent, if we don't get our values from somewhere like the Scriptures that are thousands of years old and not changing, uh, then we're only going to be swept along with the current of what some uh, advertising guru, uh, you know, doing a marketing campaign is is trying to get, gather our attention. We need to be strong enough to be able to resist that and to uh, to be able to place our faith in God and the eternal principles that he's given to us. Absolutely, and I would actually take that one step further and say this is actually something you need to sow into your children. So when your children, because kids, I've got young kids, four young kids, uh, and kids are so influenced by advertising, you know, they want the latest and greatest, they want the this new computer game, this new outfit, This uh, they want to go to this particular activity on the weekend and so forth. So, so kids are constantly nagging their parents uh, you know, for money and so forth. But we need to, with our kids, at a very young age, help them to evaluate what is being put in front of them so that they can see an ad that's telling them something. And then you can say to the kid, is that true? Is that ad actually true? Is this actually going to add any value to your life? And, and so forth. And you can actually deal with this issue, not just as a couple, but even training your kids from a young, very young age so they, they know how to deal with these, these issues. 
Holly on Facebook says, Open and honest discussions about habits, current debts and team goals must be a priority. Then there's the agreed individual spending per week, no bosses over one another's pay, withholding or separate accounts show lack of trust unless there is an addiction problem. Sounds like good wisdom from Holly. What are your thoughts for her, Alex? I was going to say, yeah... I don't disagree with anything she said. I think they're all very good. Um, yeah. Interestingly, team goals, uh, because when we're in a marriage relationship, oftentimes there are children. So our marriage relates to our family. And so including family in the team goals, how important is that when it comes to managing our finances? Uh, very, very important, I think. Um, it, it depends on, on, obviously, ages and so forth. So I think as a couple... Um, you set the the key goals but what i say to, to parents particularly is try and include your kids from a reasonable age so for example in um november each year and usually in um in june a lot of the not-for-profits are asking uh, for money to, to raise money to support their ministries you know why not sit down with your kids at that time and go through through them all and say hey you know what are the things that we should be supporting so that way you're teaching your kids the value of giving, but you're also engaging them in the process so they can learn these things from a young age. And you can set goals um, together as a family, but also um, as, as particularly, obviously, as a couple. So, yeah, team goals are very important. And the key also with team goals is they set you on a direction. They actually force you to do things. They actually force you to make changes. Without goals, you're, you're kind of rudderless. You're not aiming for anything. You don't really know where you're going. So team goals are very fundamental. It's kind of one of the first steps you need to do to, to get on track and set the, set the direction uh, the right way. Time is running out. Alex Cook, uh, founder of Wealth With Purpose. Uh, Wealth With Purpose has uh, some bases and uh, you've been expanding into different international markets around the world. I know you've got a significant operation out of South America and you've been operating in Southeast Asia. How is the growth of Wealth With Purpose going, Alex? <laughs> it's good. It's uh, it's keeping me on, on my toes, that's for sure. It's flat out... Um I seem to spend most weekends now in different churches going around sharing what the Bible says about money across Australia. So that's, uh, that's a lot of fun, but it's challenging also on the family. But look, it's, God's really uh, blessed the ministry and we're starting to see the fruit of it now with people actually uh, telling us the stories of how their church has improved or how their individual circumstances have improved. So that's why we do it and it makes it all worthwhile. And ultimately, we want to see um, you know, Christians using their money to invest in eternity. Um, so yeah, it's it's getting there and bearing fruit. So and of course, God for that. You're working with churches. Uh, you've got resources for businesses and for individuals wanting to get their finances on track. When people go to the Wealth with Purpose website, what are they likely to see? And is there some things there that some resources that you can easily download to catch up on some of the things we're talking about today? Yeah, absolutely. So under the, the so it's wealthwithpurpose.com and under the section resources, there are a couple of free things. You can download free ebooks on different topics, so some are on personal finances, or on uh, business finances, and also churches. Um, and then, of course, we've got a, a My Toolkit, which has like a downloadable budget and debt schedule and a few other bits and pieces that will be useful for an individual. Um, but on the website also, you'll find our courses. Uh, it mentions our coaching services for businesses and also our consulting services to churches, which is about helping churches to fund their vision um, that they have. So, um, yeah, plenty there for uh, 
to help as many people as we can possibly possibly can. <laughs> well, you work hard in the kingdom of God, and uh, honour to you, Alex Cook, and uh, CEO, founder of Wealth with Purpose. The Wealth with Purpose website is wealthwithpurpose.com. And Alex, just appreciate your insights as always, and look forward to the next time we get a chance to update uh, some other issues as well. But thanks so much for being with us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for having me. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.